and that we can receive mercy and grace to help us because we need to know things that will help us in our relationship with you, in our ability to believe, in our ability to serve you, do all of the things we need to do. This is our training ground, Lord. This is our opportunity to receive impartation, wisdom, knowledge, all of the things that we need that we might fulfill the Great Commission for your glory. So we thank you for this opportunity, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So we're going to talk today about prophetic actions that heal. Prophetic actions that heal. And we have many of them throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, uh, because healing was always a guaranteed uh, operation for obedient people. That's that's who healing is for. And and often for people who are not covenant people, uh, but people who can believe that will put their trust in God or in a servant of God or, or God's representative, uh, just like people that we meet here and there. You know, we'll we'll meet people and, and you know, we'll just say, well, can I pray for you? And uh, if God opens the door and, and, you know, they just, something just clicks in them and they say yes. You know, you don't have to show them a card, you show them credentials or anything like that. They just are somehow persuaded by the Spirit of God to trust one of his servants. And so there has always been healing available to people from God, you know, under certain conditions and conditions of believing, number one, uh, often two conditions of um, uh, connection to the right people, to servants of God, uh, right relationships will get you the favor of God. All of these things come into the mix uh, to assure us of the right thing happening in our lives because we're obeying uh, the laws of God and the steps that God has laid out for us to receive from him. So many times we'll see in the Bible, though, when <clears throat> oftentimes another person, a servant of God or a believer is involved, we will see instructions given to the person that is to receive the healing that kind, some sometimes kind of don't make sense to the natural. In fact, there's really no natural pattern to receiving from God. You know, we'll, we'll say things like, well, you got to be in the right place at the right time to receive your miracle, you know, and that is true. Uh, but you have to be there certain places where healing can typically take place in certain places where they don't. Say, for instance, the the corner bar is not where you typically go to find God, get healed, or anything. But believers have been known to stumble into a bar and, and being able to pray for people in there. So we can't limit God, but we also can't dictate to God where these things can take place. So all we can say is God is sovereign. Uh, he looks high and looks low for people to show himself strong on their behalf, all of those things that we know about God. But then there are certain places that God tells you to come to find him. You know, his house is one of those places. Uh, you know, you, you'll, you know, you'll see things happen in the house of God that seem to be a little unusual. Somebody will get healed in a place where they don't believe in, they don't believe more than they believe. Amen. 
Some places believe in a lot of ritual, and you'll see God heal people in those atmospheres. So you can't shut him out. You know, he'd like to do more, but we don't do everything perfect either. You know, we sit and watch and criticize other people for their denominational limitations, but we get lazy and don't want to tell anybody about Jesus. You know, or we won't go to certain places where we know people are hungry for God. You know, like people who go and pass out bread. It's not just passing out bread. You know, it's an open door for ministry. Jesus fed people and he preached and he healed them. Amen. So that's like, you know, any any errand you run for God is an open door for ministry. Amen. A lot of times people are sitting waiting on an open door and you pass so many up. <laughs> Pastor Bauer, don't do that to me. Well, we do. I'm just as guilty as the next person, you know. But but you look at certain things, you know, where, where people in the church go out and meet total strangers and you don't want to get involved. That's one reason we got empty seats. I said, that's one reason we got empty seats. Uh Oh, it's tight, but it's right. Or we go to a family party and want to terrorize the whole place. That ain't your open door. <laughs> well, we're just going to continue to flow on. It'll open up. It'll blossom. Y'all like that word better? It'll blossom for you. You can get the bouquet of it. God will sweeten it up so you'll like it better. I don't know, but I spent a lot of years as a drunk when I was in the world. Not like mine straight with no chaser. Just get me drunk. Don't try to purdy it up. Because I'm going to look ugly once I get drunk anyway. Just make it ugly all the way down the line. (laughs) Don't give me beer. It takes too long. So, okay, so we're all on the same page now. Everybody's paying attention. Cool. So, so we're going to talk about some of these prophetic actions that resulted in a healing. See, whenever you read your Bible, pay attention to the things that God's holding you accountable to do. Like when you read Mark 16, 17, and 18, praying in tongues, laying hands on the sick, casting out devils, those things we're responsible to do. So whenever you get a story in the Bible or scripture that leads to one of those actions, amen, that he's commanded us to do, I don't know nothing about that praying for a sick. Well, you got to learn. He said, take his yoke upon you and learn of him. It's easy to learn from God if you pay attention. You You make it hard by your words. 
or you want to skip over praying for the sick because your favorite preacher on television don't never pray for nobody sick. God didn't tell you to follow him. He said, follow the master. Amen. So. So we have Naaman. He's, he's our first example. And he's found in 2 Kings chapter 5. Now prophetic actions have some, some things in common about them. If the person who has been given the instruction from the Spirit of God, this is a, a direction and a message from the Holy Spirit to the person who is standing in faith to help somebody out. So there gotta be some, some things going on there. Number one, you gotta wanna help people through God's power, not your own. Amen. That's nice to be friendly, it's nice to be cordial, it's nice to be a lot of things, but your friendly and your cordial are not the same thing as your prophetic instruction from God for how to get the job done. And your desire to be nice to people is not the same thing as the compassion of God. Amen. So you have to be moved from one dimension to the next one. Got me? So there has to be a, a door that opens up. Say, for instance, I just... You know, I'm in the supermarket and I see somebody, I'm walking past them and I just say hi to them. That's me as a human being, being polite or friendly or, you know, and easy to get along with. The showing friendliness, showing them easy to get along with. If, if I am to move supernaturally toward this person, there has to be a door where that drops off. And then the supernatural of God picks up. You can't take that into the supernatural door. Because there's no healing power in your your character as a nice person. Amen. There has to be a place where you disappear. And Wonder Woman shows up, so to speak. You understand, the mistake people make is they try to do everything through the arm of flesh, through the be nice door, through the I like you door, through the what's going on door. You understand what I'm saying? And you don't see a place where you drop that and you pick up God and pick up the anointing, pick up what he has for you. So it's best to walk in a place in the spirit where you're constantly on edge for God to open that up to you. Because if you go too deep into the nice you person, you'll only be somebody's friend until they get sick of you and y'all fall out. See, you have to walk in what I call a, a lower level of the spirit of God. Because you're available to him. And you can't be in the flesh and on the prowl for somebody to lay hands on and act crazy. You got me? 
So, so there has to be this communication between you and God where He understands you're available. He understands you are there to hear from Him so that He can, can uh, help people through you. But it's gotta be where you drop off and He picks up and He gets the glory. See, He knows how to get the glory from things. There are spirits about that watch what Christians do so that they can take that over and start imitating that and lead people down the wrong way. Amen. Um, blowing on people. That used to be a big deal, you know, years ago. And then you found out you, they got nothing but your bad breath and you stopped doing it. Amen. Nobody fell. Nobody got up healed. Nobody, uh, you understand what I'm saying? So, so we have to constantly offer his power back up to him. That's my, my, my understanding of how to stay available to God, how to stay full of his power, <clears throat> along with reading your word. I mean, that's, that's kind of like a given. You don't get knowledge from God out of thin air. You've got to have a, a relationship with him where he feeds you from his word and 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 gives you knowledge and you know you certain things that he will lead you to through through preachers who have a a real tight grip on that message that have something to offer you that will strengthen you and augment you amen and then there's a time he says shut all that down and let me talk to you period you understand what i'm saying so we have to be open to god for all kinds of ways to receive but you got to be receiving something real. Stay around people that make you a little bit scared of them. You know, you understand what I'm saying. It 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 puts a little bit of an edge on your life where you know there's something different, something new, something you haven't tapped into. If it's too comfortable and too familiar, there's probably not much of God in it for you. You understand what I'm saying? Anybody, it looks like anybody can get up and do it. It's probably true. But what fruit results from it is the most important thing. What's, what did God confirm? Did he confirm the word that you spoke with a sign following? That's what's important. Amen. It, it doesn't matter how good a word you preach or how people get quickened and fall out and all that stuff your emotional reactions to what what you say and do what matters are the signs these signs shall follow amen and so you gotta you gotta understand that's for you that scripture's talking to you that god wants to use you for that and you gotta go about god what do i do to get that to happen you know what I'm saying? It's your responsibility to put yourself in that place. You know, mantles don't fall. Elijah and Elisha walked together for a long time. I mean, them brothers was treading some, you know, wearing out some shoe leather to getting from one place to another. Well, now why did God require that? He knows people get tired of following people. When you want something they have, number one, make sure you're after something somebody has that's real. 
that they can, God's confirming signs through them. Then they're worth following. If not, you're just following somebody. But Elisha saw something in that man of God that he wanted and he wanted more. Most people don't even want what you have. Because they don't consider it valuable. You gotta really pray and ask God to find out what it is about people. You understand what I'm saying? It's, these things are mysteries. I mean, it's not like ripe fruit falling off trees. You gotta petition God. You gotta dig. You gotta, you gotta get understanding. And so when, when you get understanding, then you yield yourself to God. He will give you things to do. He'll give you instruction for certain things. We want to skip over certain things and then get into the real, whatever, what we think is important about something. When it's all important to God. It's all important to Him. You know, just like parents, when your kids start learning how to draw and they put them little stick figures and you're so happy for them, you get them up, put them on the refrigerator, you know. You look in some people's houses and kids are grown and gone to college and them, them stay little baby pictures are still up there on her. You know, they've been put other stuff put on top of them. But if you know, refrigerator moms have all that stuff, you know. Why? Because that's your child. They're doing something that's, that's an accomplishment and you want to memorialize that. You want, you get glee. Well, the smallest thing God gives us to do, he puts that on his refrigerator. See what I'm saying? It's racked up under your name. Even the smallest of things. And see, we sit here wanting to do what we call more. <laughs> we haven't done less yet. Got me? You haven't done the first, the first step of your stepping. Amen. So, so it's important for us to understand these things, but God will give us prophetic actions to do. And I'm, when I say us, I mean everybody. This isn't for some people and other people are left out. This is for whosoever. Amen. So a, a prophetic action includes at least one gift of the Spirit. So it starts out as instruction in a message from God to you by the Holy Spirit. He might speak to you in your heart. He might, you might get up and he starts instructing you as you move out. That's oftentimes what happens. People sitting down and God don't think you're going nowhere. Why would he tell you get up and do something? You ain't even up yet. You understand? He likes moving objects. Not just somebody just sitting down waiting. I'm just waiting for God to move me. Well, you, you be there. So these messages, I'm serious, include at least one gift of the Spirit, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Amen. Discerning of spirits. The revelation gifts, I should say. But often, also, with the gift of faith. There'll be special faith on it. Where you can see, this ain't my ordinary way of looking at stuff. We flipped over into a realm I'm not familiar with. So the gift of faith is often in operation. That's supernatural of faith above your measure. Or above the faith that's usually on your words. 
This is an endowment of faith that will cause it to, well, there are a lot of, I'll show them to you when we get to an example. Uh, I'm thinking I need to put Naaman on hold for a minute, but, uh, it, 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 it is a, a faith that will trans, transcend and transport everybody in the miracle to a different place in the spirit. They'll put everybody over in there. Amen. And, and it is necessary, uh, so that the will of God can be accomplished or that person can receive their healing or, um, a person can escape certain death, certain injury. Amen. All of those things will happen as a result of the gift of faith. So it's not just a faith we normally ordinary have, but God needs to have a yielded vessel to get the ball rolling. Somebody's got to step up into the plate, step out of you, nice person, like everybody, wonderful friend. You got to kill that person and let the person that God can use step into that zone. So this is for somebody who who can step into the realm of the spirit where the spirit of God resides and they can submit themselves to every aspect of that atmosphere that God creates and not come out of it until God's done. So it takes discipline. It takes a desire to be used. Um, and once you get in that zone, you can't flip out on God. See, until you get over in that zone. Once you get in that zone, people who are smart about God know there's a point of no return until that's accomplished. You got me? And you got to know when that's upon you. So there's a lot to learn. And I'm not saying that to scare anybody, but I'm just saying it because I've asked God to show me how these things happen. Teachers are supposed to do that. They're not just supposed to tell you, go do stuff, not equip you, not give you understanding, not study them out and try to bring things back to you so you can understand it better. Um, we're not here to just, you know, in a legalistic way, just keep people moving. Go out and do this. Go out and do that. Go out. You're supposed to get understanding. And all you're getting, you're supposed to get understanding. And so that's why I endeavor to think things out with God to get an understanding of what is happening here, Lord. How do we yield to this? How do we get this? How do we, um, just like for the instructions that, that I think we need for this move of God. Now we see anointing in here that would bring a dead horse alive. You understand what I'm saying? But we're not getting all the pieces yet. And I know we're not. And so I'm yet searching for more. So I'll go to a meeting out of town somewhere because I see where somebody's operating in the more that I need. You got me? To, 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 to do this. So I'm always on the hunt for more. You have to be that way. 
because we don't have it. We don't have nearly enough, folks. I wish we did. I wish we had more. We're seeking now. Amen. So, and that seeking has to be a continual part of our walk with God. And I'm finding that out because there have been seasons where I didn't seek as much. See, when you get something, you got a nice shiny thing to play with. And you play with that and God's been offering you something shinier all along. You haven't paid attention to <laughs> the new shiny thing, you know. I mean, we do that. I make fun of it because in a real sense it is kind of shallow. But God has to dangle another carrot in front of us to get us to get more of what he wants us to have so we can do more for him, you know. And and so this is how it, we go from glory to glory. You go from one revelation to the next revelation, adding on, keeping the old and adding new to it. Amen. And not just discarding things like you do old toys. Now, people who do that don't go very far in the kingdom. We see them do it all the time. You know, a prayer of Jabez. Remember that? Uh, remember a purpose-driven life. Remember that? And ain't nobody driving nothing right now because churches are closed. See, somebody's got to get on their face and dig hard enough to get enough. To come out with something that it can be imparted to believers universally. And people can go out. See, that's, Azusa Street was that kind of movement. Where people who were hungry for God labored in it. And labored in it and labored in it until they came out with the real thing. And believers would come and receive anointing, empowerment. And I believe, I mean quick. It wasn't no two year Bible school. That would slow most of them down. Is it two years? I got it now. I'm going, I'm running with it. Amen. And, and so that's the kind of, that's what happened with the early church. They got their empowerment and ran with it. Amen. They obeyed unction. They stayed together. It's another hint. As long as you're divided and you're devouring each other, God's not moving in that situation. So you might as well chill out. You're not fighting for any any place anywhere. Your place has been given to you from the foundation of the earth. If God don't want you leading this move, you ain't leading it. I don't care how many people you step on to try to get to be top dog. And how many prophecies you give yourself. Well, it's not going to put you there. Do you understand what I'm saying? He still gives grace to who? Hello? Humble. Yeah. Okay. So while we turn to John chapter 2, because I really want to show this to you, how these things happen, and then we can pick it up a little bit faster, I think, as we <clears throat> go along. Or not. <laughs> or we'll just stay. Let me put this here. And this is the wedding at Cana. We all know about that. But this is, is interesting because this is a an example of the early church before Calvary. See, Jesus was there to demonstrate the power of God, not only on himself as the prophet and the leader and the head of the church, but also as he ministered to people and released them into ministry it was it got to be what a believer's ministry 
So if you turn over in the book of Acts and the epistles, you see the people doing the very same things they're doing here in certain situations. So here you see this, this situation with Jesus' first miracle, his beginning of miracle starts here in this wedding. And, um, You'll see the instruction given here. You'll see the message given here. You'll see the unction given here. You'll see, uh, um, trying to remember the things I just spoke to you with, with, if you were in this situation, uh, what you would have to do. But anyway, uh, it says here, 2 verse 1, the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. So here you have some people just showing up by invitation. And they respond, you know, not wanting to offend whoever it was. It doesn't even say who was getting married. Amen. It says, and when they lacked wine or wanted wine, it doesn't mean that uh, they just wanted more. They lacked. They were out. The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, there is a place where you'll see her not be his moms anymore. Amen. But you'll see her transform into somebody else. She becomes a prophetess right before his eyes. She's got to be able to drop moms. Huh? Now, this is, this is very common for mothers to do. You, you, you give a party and you see where people are eating something real fast and you get panicked and you call your son and say, boy, you better go over and get over, go over KFC or somebody get us some more chicken wings because they about to ate everything. So as a mother in charge of a wedding or in charge of a, um, household, we don't know that why Mary gets involved? Is she related to somebody there? Are they coming to her for help, thinking she's got resources? You just don't know. I would imagine she gets invited into the, you know, she's not just a busybody here, going around snooping and checking all the wine bottles and say they didn't drink up everything. They ain't got out, they ain't got out of wine already. You know, busybodies usually let you stay out of something and go talk about you bad. <laughs> you know what I mean. I mean, just in the real world. Amen. And somehow she transforms from his mother to somebody else. His response to her is a son to his mother. Huh? When they lacked wine or wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. That's mom talking. Son says, mom, what do I have to do with you? My hour is not yet come. Amen. So he's letting her know he's not running to KFC to get no chicken from for nobody. Huh? That's not my job. Amen. It's, I don't see myself doing that. But then she changes. Verse 5. You see that? She flips over from moms to superwoman. See, that's the 
jump in the phone booth, take off the mom's garb, and put on your your supernatural clothes. Amen. Amen. And we all have that transition point where we go from being just a normal, friendly person in the supermarket to being God's servant that he wants to anoint with his supernatural power. And you got to know how to make the transition. Because if Mary had, had taken that as a rebuke, got her feelings hurt, go sell lazy boy here. See, it's good to know when to step out of one and step into the other one. Now, I believe Mary was familiar with supervising Jesus according to the unction of the Spirit instead of the natural way that mothers take care of their children. She had to have. This couldn't have been her first rodeo with this kind of stuff. You understand what I'm saying? And when I say that, I don't mean Jesus performed miracles before. I mean she was accustomed to weighing things according to what God told him about her son. Remember it when he was 12 years old in the temple, he stayed behind with the teachers, talking with them and questioning. He he was gone from the caravan three days before they knew he was missing. When they found him, what did he say? Didn't you know? In other words, ain't you been praying? Haven't you? Do Are you still trying to regulate me the way you want to? Or have, did you talk to my father about me yet? The fact that he was 12 is a day of giveaway. That's when you're considered to be an adult, you know, as far as the uh, Jewish religion, the religious customs and such are concerned. So at that point, she has to start treating him like a man and going to his real father on his behalf. She and Joseph. Amen. So I believe from that point on, she began to seek the father more about his life, and that would make her a key person in his ministry. Because she became, becomes his intercessor more than just moms. Even though she's still moms, she's more supernatural in it now than she's ever been. Amen? See, mothers who really want to get their kids somewhere know how to make that transition. To flip over into... What does God want? How does God see my child? What's their potential? Amen. After a while, you should be comfortable expecting greater supernatural things from your children. You, you understand what I'm saying? Instead of just praying for them to get a better job or get more money or that vision of them. Hey! <laughs> Doing the works of God has got to come to you at some point. Because life is not, it's more than bread and clothing. Come on now. So you got to know how to drop that natural relationship and get the supernatural going. huh? And you're going to be persecuted for a lot of times parents that are raising 
kids that are going to be ministers in the supernatural or healing ministers or something, they they go through a lot of grief with parents. Saying, you got to let them be normal. They need to play. And, uh-uh, they play too much already. And playing is not for all the time. Sometimes you need to stop that playing and start them doing something, things that are, are going to help them to get mastery in the realm of the supernatural. So she she turns on him. Amen. He said, my hour's not yet come. She says, that's what you think. Huh? See, somebody has to call you, confirm your gift and your calling. God don't care who he uses. He uses your moms if he needs to. Huh? He'll do that. So this is where the anointing falls. And this is where the gifts of the Spirit start. And this is where the miracle starts, is when somebody steps out of their natural role over into the supernatural. The the issue here is not wine in pleasing people. The issue here is getting her son anointed. And he, they're being confirmed with a sign following. Amen. Now you'll have preachers say things like, well, you know, he probably, you know, they probably ran out of beans or something for dinner and, and she got him to do something. That's not true. The word doesn't say that. Cause if you keep reading, it says at the end of the story, this beginning of miracles. And it was done not just for the wine, but it was people to believe, the disciples to believe. All the people that were there that day were there for a reason from God and not just for a party. So we got to get party out of our mind when God has us involved in things. So instead of her striving with him... She goes to the servants. Because they play a very important role. Many times in order to create a miracle atmosphere, you have to have an assignment for people who are key to the miracle. They have to have something specific to do so that they can step over into the anointing as well. So then Mary is used to pull all these people under the covering, the blanket anointing. Huh? So she must have some influence, you know, just as a regular human being around these servants. So my thought is this. Somebody who was in authority let the servants know that they were out of wine. She picks up on it, and God starts to move on her to get her son involved. God must have said to her, your son is going to fix this. See, she would have to know some outcome to even get comfortably involved in it. She's not just fishing around to see if he can get up and do something. She already knows. So, number one, the the message that God gives you, for a miracle or for the supernatural prophetic actions that heal, it, it will, it, th- 
those instructions will give you a vision of victory and success at the end of this whole thing. Or other than that, you're just playing around. You're just hoping something will happen. Somebody, a key person in that scenario has to have a knowing of an outcome at the end. You can't be guessing. You can't be playing. You can't be trying to do what you saw somebody else do. You got to get it straight from God. And so here she tells them, she goes to the servants. So it's, it's probably right that the servants already were waiting and anticipating something to do to get wine to these people. They're either anticipating somebody to go and borrow some from a neighbor. But they're already wanting a solution. So God will have key people wanting a solution. This is just like somebody who's born blind and they want to see. The servants are the recipients of a, a, a peace that comes when the problem is solved. So they're recipients, to be honest with you. They're servants. But they're going to receive an answer to their problem. The lack of wine is a problem for them. If it's a problem for the master, it's a problem for the servants. Why? Because people keep sticking their glasses in their nose. Wanting something to drink. So we got to have some desperation in the. Well, come on, y'all following me? Or do I need to go to the box again? Huh? See, there has to be somebody who wants an answer. And that person has to get involved. If you don't pull the people who want the healing or want the answer under the supernatural of God, they stay on the outside of faith and outside of power and they begin to be a problem to the solution. So the first person you pull under the anointing is the one that's most bothered by the fact that they don't have it. And that's the people who got to serve it. So far, it's just the servant's problem. It doesn't say Mary talked to whoever was in charge. Huh? Because you pick up the guy in charge and later finds out there was never a problem. So the first thing she does, she said, let me get these servants as nervous. Let me get them straightened out. So what do I tell them? You got to tell people the right thing. You got to tell them by unction. You got to tell them whatever comes up on the inside of you by the Holy Ghost. Because if you try to figure out how to pretty it up and make sure they're going to do it, you're right back into the natural again. You've taken everything from God now and you're trying to make it happen yourself. So the first person that anointing has to put in the zone is Mary. Huh? So it puts her in the zone first because she goes up to Jesus and tells them what the situation is. So she's already in the zone. The principal person in the zone 
has to carry that out into its God-expected end, and they have to say the right things to everybody to pull everybody under the influence of the anointing. So she got to be careful about her words, who she says who to what first. She can't go out whining to nobody. We, oh, can somebody else go get us a wine? We ain't got no wine. We just, she, that was shut down when we first started this. So when she first heard it, she just went inside and God started moving on her to pull this thing together. It's not about wine. It's not about food. It's about the anointing. It's always about the anointing and what it can do and who can see it and what effect it has on them. All of that. And it's got to be spectacular. You got to be comfortable with the spectacular when you serve God. You just have to be. Amen. So, so. Mary is the first one that comes under this anointing. She speaks to Jesus as his mother. Amen. She then flips over voices. She picks up the voice of the spirit again. And he says, she goes to the servants and says, whatever he says to you, do it. Amen. So the servants want a solution. So they're looking for something to do. (laughs) You know. Yeah, I'd rather go and be with your son than be with these people begging for wine and I'll have none for them. Amen. And there were set six water pots of stone. And these were the, this was the, the common water that you used to wash. Amen. Probably wasn't the drinking water. It wasn't used water, but it probably, you know, so he, water pots of stone, amen, after they're purifying, containing, I don't know how much that is, three firkins apiece. I know it's going to be a lot of wine when it all gets done. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. In other words, they probably had some water in them, but he wanted it up to the brim. And he said to them, draw it out and give it to the governor of the feast. So the governor of the feast was never made aware. And that's, that's protocol. If somebody's in charge of a lot of guests and you're a servant, the last thing you want to do, cause somebody gonna get indicted. Cause if you're a servant, how come you didn't know we was that short on wine before we even got this, this party started? So everybody's trying to save their neck, so they'll they'll do anything Jesus says to do. So when Mary says whatever, they say, oh, okay, we're ready. What do we do? So they dutifully fill the pots up. They wouldn't go mess up now. Amen. So when he told them to go ahead and pour it out, and they and he said, draw it out now and first give it to the governor of the feast. Because he never found out they were out of wine. So let him go. And the governor was like your MC. Huh? You know, it, it was these weddings, families, 
sat and enjoyed the wedding. Everybody, you know that, Miss Vicky, from doing wedding planning. Everybody else it, does all the work, and the families don't sweat anything. Why? Because they already paid the bill. You know, you you better keep this going because it's all paid for. You understand? We don't want no problems, and you don't bring them any problems. And so protocol was that everybody who's serving and working and cooking and serving knows the supply, knows what's there. So these servants are anxious for an answer. They do anything. So they let go of any kind of resistance. They're not telling nobody they're out of wine. They didn't buttoned up the lip and there's no bad confession. She didn't have to tell them to shut up and not talk. Amen. So here they are dutifully going about being obedient to the unction of the spirit and don't even know that they're participating in a miracle. Amen. And this is the, the, the silence that God puts on people and it's like a suspended animation. It's like you're just walking through something. You're that, you're there, but you're not there. That's you, but that's not you. Amen. And, and in that type of a miracle setting, people don't realize what's going on until they start feeling around and feel their flesh somehow. You know, when later when you come out of it and you look back and see what happened, you know, that's when you come out of it and you back you again. So they become servants again. And so he, they drew it out and when the ruler of, and now Jesus has come under it too. This is a different Jesus than verse four. My hour is not yet come. Once she puts the servants in motion, then he gets it. You got me? It falls on him too. And so he begins to do as the Holy Spirit is moving him to do. And it says the ruler of the feast tasted the water that was made wine. Didn't know it. But the servants knew it. Amen. There must be people in the scenario who will just walk out obedience with nothing to say about it. No attitude about it. No opinion about it. You got me? It's good when God can keep those people in service. Because they know how to expect a good end, expect an answer, and just be obedient. See, that's what God likes about his servants. Just get in there and obey what God tells you to do. You don't have to have an opinion. You don't have to have an attitude. You don't have to be wanting to tell nobody, look at me and all this kind of stuff. Just get in there and do what needs to do. And he called, and the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. See, he's, the important people are not let in on the miracle. Let's say it again. The important people are not let in on the miracle, but they become the recipients of it. So only the necessary people are let in on the miracle, and God only God knows who the necessary people are. So Mary runs things until she tells the servants what to do, and then she gets invisible. She disappears. That's the way it is with miracle working. You stay in there until you know you've been cut loose and then you fade, fade to black as they say. (laughs) Amen. 
And he said to him, every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. Now he's patting the bridegroom. Bridegroom don't have no clue what went on, what happened. Somebody might later tell him, well, we just out of wine. Did you see that? You didn't. Oh, you missed it, man. That was something to see. How do we know that happened? It always happens. Are you kidding me? <laughs> when God shows up and does, word spreads fast. Cana got to be the known, got to be known as a place where the lazy people were just sitting around waiting for a miracle to show up. They didn't even use their faith anymore. Amen. Remember the guy with the son that, that needed to be healed and he had to walk a day's journey with Jesus to get him healed. Jesus said, except you see signs of, that was in Cana. He was right back there in that town again. They were still buzzing about it. Miracles, signs and wonders. Jesus said, unless, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. <laughs> so the people in Cana had got spoiled just off that one miracle. So when the, he tasted the water that was, he called the bridegroom. It says every man at the beginning sets, sets forth good wine. And when that everybody's drunk already, you put out the bad stuff. You don't want to impress a bunch of drunks. You want them to go home now. They say, oh man, the wine ain't what it needs to be. Let's go. Let's book. Let's get out of here. Let's go. Right. And, but you have kept the good wine until now. In other words, Jesus is the, the author and the finisher of the good wine. Amen. The best wine. The best wine is the new covenant. Amen. Yeah. He kept it until now. Amen. So we're living in the time of the best wine. So what do we have to complain about? What do we have to feel like God doesn't want to do stuff for us for? huh? Because we're living in the time of the best wine. This is the best time. This is the best time to be alive. The best time to be a Christian. The best time. Amen. It says this beginning of miracles. He did not. Mary had not talked him into stretching a meal. When he was a kid. That's just not true. Miracles don't just. He wasn't anointed to do anything until now. Until he went into the wilderness. And was tempted by the devil. It says that's when he came back and read from the book of Isaiah. And let them know the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me. Amen. Amen. So this was his first miracle. Amen. Amen. And they all coincide together. They're all happening around the same time. It's at this beginning of miracles did Jesus do in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. So it wasn't just for the wine. It wasn't just for the party. It wasn't just for the bridegroom. But it was for his disciples to understand what to expect when he would put power on them for them to go and do miracles and stuff like that too. And so they had to be taught. They had to be trained. They had to, to understand exactly, uh, what, what to expect from their master. In other words, they, he had to show them he had the goods 
before they could continue to follow him. Amen. You know, you don't follow a one-dimensional leader. You know, when Jesus called them, they all followed him, called him rabbi and all that. But that fades real quick. Look at the empty chairs. People follow you for all kinds of good and bad reasons. They lose faith in leaders because they're not doing it the way they think they ought to do it. After a while, people feel like they know how to run stuff. You know, (laughs) they just do. (laughs) It's time for them to learn something else or lose that, fight that demon off of them. Something. Amen. So, but anyway, so we'll go over to Naaman now. Second Kings. So you know how the miracle working, that anointing works. So the gift of faith was in operation. We see that because everybody that got under that umbrella had supernatural ability to do things. The servants quit being just servants who were scared because they were out of wine. Because somebody was going to take the fall for that. They were either going to lose their serving business you know, go to the bottom of the list, get uh, a bunch of uh, bad reviews on, um, you know, what Yelp, you know, Yelp, huh? A, b- a bunch of bad press, and nobody calls them anymore. So this is a legitimate need for a miracle to pull somebody out of trouble. That's what miracles come for, amen. And so, but also, it was to introduce the miracle ministry of Jesus. And to let the disciples see what manner of man he was. Amen. Always. God, when the God does things, he does it publicly. And he always does it for the lookers on. To increase their faith. To know what type of person that they're dealing with. So here we have Naaman. He's in, in 2 Kings chapter 5. So this is a prophetic action that will bring about a healing. Amen. So we just saw a miracle. I guess you can say it healed the wedding service or saved the wedding service, but it was mostly a demonstration of power to certain people, certain key people in the ministry of Jesus. So they would know the full range of their leaders' abilities. And this is something that people just don't, people look at who they like, who everybody else, and who's on television, and who has a following on Facebook, and who's on YouTube. We look at the most carnal things. You don't look at Mark 16. So God stopped me from following people and listening to them. He said, if they don't have miracle signs and wonders, you don't have time for them people. Amen. And we get caught up in everything except what we're supposed to be receiving from people. You know, I know they talk real good and people love them and all that kind of stuff. But you look at what follows them. Just more talk. And it sounds good, but this is man's wisdom that most of them are operating in. Because if it was God's wisdom, there'd be signs following. You know, it got to the point, it was like, God, who's out there? Whatever. He said, go find some dead people. (laughs) So you go back to your Bible. Then you, oh yeah, I remember Sister Adder used to do so and so. And Brother Seymour did something. He said, yeah, go go look up the dead people. 
that they've written anything I left it for you to learn from. So it says, now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria. So he was a military leader. He was a captain of all of the regiments and all of the soldiers. Was a great man with his master. And honorable. Because by him, the Lord had given deliverance to Syria. So God could turn the tide in a battle. And if he turned the tide in your favor, it was chances were that you were doing something that's pleasing to him. So he already has favor with God. See, this is something we have to understand because if you just read the story, you'll think this started with that little servant girl in his house, but it didn't. It started with God. He already had God's favor. God had given him many victories. He already, so he's a sovereign blessing coming from God. He's pleasing God already. Amen. And he says, he found favor in the sight of God's people as well as in the sight of God. So God wakes somebody up to notice this man. And notice that God wants to do something for him. Amen. The king that honors him can't do it. Because he's a foreign king. Amen. He can only assist in whatever God gives him to do. So he's not the one. Who's the one? A very unlikely suspect. God uses unlikely people. See, it's good when you're in a situation that you don't like... To remember whose you are and who you serve. Because that's going to be the big tester of your life. Under circumstances that are unfavorable, can you still honor the God that you mad at because you don't like where you are? It says... He was a great man and honorable with his master. So he pleased his master. That's always a good sign. You know, you you get in a job situation, you look at how they got a little click going with the boss. You better find out how to get in that click. If there's a way to get in there without selling your soul, you need to try to figure out what's going on here. Unless it's just 100% dirty. But see, a lot of times we forget that we have to please people that we work for in order to please God. And it says the Syrians had gone out. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was also a leper. He has a disease that indicates that he's not a man of, of order and a man of leprosy is, is, is a, Always has been a sign of rebellion. Why? Because it made you an outcast with society. So it's it's a sign of a sin that is unusual and unique in that you don't find any fellowship with common ordinary people. You've already, by your behavior and by your attitude, you've already put yourself on the outside of. 
Now, it might be he used to be like that. Anybody used to be? Don't act like it's so strange. Come on now. You know, some of us got symptoms hanging on us now from a time where we it came on us because we were in rebellion against God. But you walk with God and, and he begins to heal you. He begins to develop. That's all he's doing with Naaman. He's putting, he's putting the crown on his jewel. Naaman's already obedient to his master, the king of Syria. But the king of Syria has no power to cure him of his leprosy. And so it says here, and the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. Now, this girl was stolen from her people, and she's a slave to these people. What would your attitude be? See, unless God does super something supernatural with us, to tone us down and soften us up. See, there are a lot of servants running around there. But I can tell you 90% of them are eye servants. They hate the master. They just do what they do in front of them. And they get behind them and talk about them like a dog. Amen. Amen. Huh? God has to do a little work on people to get their hearts softened toward the people they work for. That's why he tells us to pray for our enemies. Love our enemies. People who are against you. You gotta love them. You gotta cross that bridge over into love and, and leave resentment behind. Leave anger behind. Leave they ain't right behind. Look at what they do. You gotta leave all that behind. If you're gonna get where God wants you to get. We have to cross that bridge at some point, folks. We can't just stay over on this side all the time. Talking about people and running them down and looking for faults. and That's easy to do. It's a challenge to love somebody who, who doesn't love you. It's got you. She's his slave. Slaves, slaves have to do whatever the master tells them. Whatever. Y'all get me now? All right. But she begins to look for a solution for this man. So he must be some person as far as God is concerned. Because God begins to work on this little servant girl. Amen. She was the wife's servant. She was her maid. And she said this to her mistress. She said, would, would to God, my Lord, were the, with the prophet that is in Samaria. In other words, boy, if he could get with this prophet, I know he would get healed. Now, where does that kind of statement come from? That's like a New Testament statement. Amen. If he could get with the right person, I know God would heal him. So she wants the best for him. She's not holding anything against him. 
She's not laughing behind his back. Look at him. He got all that money and they still got that leprosy. Good for him. I don't like working for these people. Love wishes no ill on its neighbor. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter what they do to you. Who are you? You're somebody who does sin just like they do. You mess up like they do. If he were with the prophet in Samaria, well, guess what? He works for somebody who can make it happen. Huh? You see how you can be around the solution and around the answer and not get it? He's with all these high-powered people. He's got favor with them. Works for the king. The king loves him. Would do anything to help him. But they still don't have that connection to the supernatural to make it happen. And here the least likely person is the connection. A slave. Who should, even on a good day, wish they'd all drop dead. So she can escape and get her freedom back. So this little this little word that she speaks spreads like wildfire. Hello? It's amazing what God can do through just one release of a word. You see? Well, when you think about it, what do we do when we pray the word? We release that word. I've seen it never fail. Pretty soon you see that word bounce back into your ear. Somebody else has spoken it and you never heard it spoken before, before you said it. You see answers to prayer come in situations that everybody said were hopeless and helpless. Why? Because that word carries. When that word is released in the spirit, it carries wherever. The Bible says the spirit goes wherever he wants to go. He's invisible. Nobody sees him coming. Nobody sees him going. You can't control him. He takes it wherever he decides to go. Amen. He says, so is everybody who's born of the spirit. Amen. And he says, and he, he said he would recover him for his leprosy. And then somebody went in and told his Lord, saying, this is what the maid from Israel said. She said, if you could get with the man of God, he would recover you from your leprosy. Amen. See, this is like playing telephone. Now, what she said was, hmm. If he were with the prophet that is in Samaria, he would recover him from this leprosy. The servants went and told him something that wasn't quite the same thing. Why? Because we see what happened. The king of Syria heard it and he said, let me send a letter to the king of Israel in Samaria. And he departed 
and took him ten talents of silver. You know, this was customary. Kings went asking for favors. They took gifts. You were insulting somebody if you just asked for stuff. Think about it. When God says present your body a living sacrifice, that's not too outrageous, is it? He says reasonable. When you go to a king, you present a gift. That's you. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, Now when this letter has come to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may recover him. This is telephone. You ever play that game? You tell somebody a message, and by the time it gets to the end of the chain, it's totally different from what you were told and heard? Huh? So, when a miracle is in place, God's sovereignty can make up for mistakes. He protects that miracle. See, what we saw at the wedding of Cana was almost a flawless execution of miracle. Amen. Only glitch was Jesus didn't want to do it at first. But Mary kept on with her part. God said, oh, I expected that out of him. I'll give you something to do. I'll tell you. Just go talk to the servants and tell him, tell them that he's going to tell them something to do. Amen. So she obeys the father. She has to ignore the son. She probably done that a lot throughout his life. You understand what I'm saying? He said, my hour ain't come to do the dishes. No, (laughs) messing with you. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. She was used to going to the father on his behalf. And it says he brought the letter to the king of Israel. And he's thinking the king is going to do this. Well, the king has power to assign the prophet. But if the king isn't aware that the prophet needs to get involved, he's going to think he's supposed to be doing something. Amen. So the letter goes in the the wrong the wrong um the wrong mailbox. So what happens when the letter goes in the wrong mailbox? It's still alive. That miracle for Naaman is still alive, even though it's in the dead letter office. It says, he says, uh, uh, and it came to pass when the king of Israel read the letter that he's upset. He he's repenting. He's I don't know what I did wrong, but these people are telling me to do something. Maybe they want to come and uh, you know put a noose around my neck. They're trying to get me in trouble, asking me to do something I'm not able to do. Amen. Do you ever feel that way when you want to go and pray for somebody and you feel ill-equipped and ill? Uh huh. You feel like if this don't work, I'm gonna be in real big trouble. God's going to be mad at me. Then people going to be mad at me. That person going to drop dead. You ever have, you want to go pray for the sick and the first thing that comes, what happens if they die? Huh? So you know what this guy is going through. He said, who am I, God? I can't kill and make a lie. This man is sending me. So I pray you, he says, to recover of his leprosy. Wherefore, consider, I pray you and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard, boy, these servants are busy, ain't they? You want something to spread like wildfire, you get the servants ear on it. They start telling everybody and running here and running there and telling this and telling that. 
When Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel rent his clothes and that he sent to the king saying, don't, don't do, you know, calm down. Okay. Let him come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So here the, the king of Israel isn't even aware. If he were, he would have sent him to him immediately. He ready to think he's being set up to get murdered. Because they're expecting something of him he can't do. That's why prophets were present there. They had totally different function than the king did. Amen. So Elisha just says, well, send him to me and I'll, I'll get it straightened out. They need to know that there's a prophet in Israel. Amen. They need to know where to come when they have a need. That's, that's just all that is to it. When God starts moving you into ministry, it's so people can know you don't have to tell nobody nothing. Don't get any cards printed. Don't do nothing. Just let God let them know. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. This man wants to be healed. Amen. So here he's not only being singled out sovereignly by God for a miracle, but he is showing his faith by being obedient to the people who are over him. Instruction. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall come clean and you shall be clean. And Naaman was angry and went away. And said, I thought surely he would come out to me. So Naaman is one of these principles in the miracle that's a variable. It's like people when they come to the altar. Between the time they step stand up to come and the time they get up there, their miracle can be enhanced or stolen by what they think, what ideas come to them. What information is given to them? All of that. I've seen it happen. People will come and they look like they really want to be there in faith. And then later on, they'll ask for something else other than what the altar call was for. You got me? They just, people flip out. And that's what name it is. Now, God will move on the minister to retrieve them and pull them back into the miracle anointing. God's mercy will do that. But if people want to refuse and get crazy, you can't, there's not a lot you can do for them sometimes. Like people will start walking. I'll say, well, come on and walk with me and God will heal you that way. They'll start walking and then they'll start thinking about who's looking at them. And if they think too many people are watching, they start focusing on people instead of focusing on walking and then they're just walking back and forth. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you can get people to cooperate. You get a lot of miracles. Amen? But that's the, that's the whole thing. That's, that's the purpose for the anointing is pull people under the anointing. And he says, he said, why didn't he come out here and touch me and do this and do that? And I just, and he said, in any way, the rivers in Damascus are better than these and I can go down there anytime. He said, why can't I wash in them and be clean? Then he turned and went right away in a rage, almost ready to lose his miracle. And his servants, here we go again, 
Amen. The unsung heroes. People of low estate. Humble people. They're in your life for a reason. If you're a humble person, you're in other people's lives for a reason. Amen. And he says, so Naaman came with his horses, etc. And he was angry. He wanted to go. And in his verse 13, his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much rather than when he says to you, wash and be clean. So they were accustomed to talking him down off the ledge. Amen. Well, good servants will do that. Amen. They want, they have your best at heart. This man is very fortunate in that God has given him favor in the eyes of so many people. Amen. That's what it takes sometimes. And he says, then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. That's what has to be obeyed. The saying of the man of God or the saying of the servant of God or the saying of the minister of God. Amen. And his flesh came clean like into the flesh of the little child and he was clean. Amen. But in order for that to happen, there has to be the right atmosphere. It has to be maintained. It has to be that there has to be mercy to retrieve the person that's receiving the miracle when they give up on it. Amen. Because Naaman had given up. He forgot he was there for a miracle. He thought he was there as Naaman, the big the big cheese. And he found out he had to get small before he could get his miracle. And that's really what God wants people to see. Every This miracle working anointing humbles everybody involved. And we have to be willing to play our part in order to get things done. You can't be thinking about, oh boy, when they hear about this happened at my meeting, people going to be breaking down the door. This is what kills revivals. You see it over and over again. It'll break out somewhere and the first thing they want to do is go live on television. Well, maybe God didn't tell you to go live. But we got to get people down here. God said it was going to happen down. You better get out the flesh. And let God have his work back again. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so in order for us to really be used by God, you got to stay humble in this from beginning to end, folks. Because only he is going to get the glory. Only he is going to get what he wants out of it. But he will help a lot of people and you will too in the process. Amen? All right, why don't we stop? Well, Lord, we thank you for what you have given us. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us to know your word understanding you in all things and things great and small whatever part we're to play Lord we are willing participants we want no glory for ourselves everybody say that say God I want no glory for myself use me any way you want for your glory amen amen and see this is how you stay in that place where he can use you Amen. And don't think he can't use you. Don't let, you know, this is, this isn't that, uh, algebra course that you felt you could skip over because you thought it didn't apply. It's not, well, I'm a, I can get a C anyway. You know, this isn't for C grades. This is so that we can be equipped to obey the commands of God, to lay hands on the sick and they recover. And he confirmed what we preach and we declare with signs.
that's following. Amen. You're going to have to step out in faith on something. You understand what I'm saying? Many things God has had me declare prophetically, even in front of you guys, and I was scared to say it, but I found that if I said it and said it enough, eventually somebody believed it. Amen. And hopefully, and I've gotten more comfortable, but it's still a little edgy sometimes. You get a little nervous. You say, well, we ain't getting Rona. Well, you know, got somebody, support somebody got, well, we ain't getting it anyway. You understand what I'm saying? So you say it in faith, not in results. Amen. You say it in faith, not in results. All right. So, well, let's make our declaration. I ain't got Rona and she ain't got me. I can't get Rona. And she can't get me. I thank you, Father, that by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. Amen, amen, and amen again. It's so decreed. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Phenomenal.